Welcome, guys, to Kieran's Corner. And once again, back for everyone's favourite series, Your Team, Your Say. And today we have possibly my favourite Browns fan on earth. <laughs> and that's Sean. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. Not biased in that selection at all there, mate. I'm uh, glad to see. But, uh, yeah, it's great, mate. It's, it, we haven't spoken for a, a long time, and uh, it's strange for you to introduce me on the podcast, mate. It's very nice. I'm very, very privileged to be in your little corner, my friend. Oh, thank you very much, mate. Yeah, it's it's been a while since we've done a proper NFL podcast after the season ended. Uh, but today we get to solely talk about the Browns, which is, is going to be a lot of fun. You know I've been big on this team for a while. So without further ado, guys, welcome to Kieran's Corner. So, thanks for watching through the intro again. We get that changed now. I've had a haircut, I assume. But uh, we're here to talk about a team that, throughout the season, Sean, you, I was I was kind of singing their praises, to be honest. And I, I may have seemed a little bit biased. And we'll get to the beautiful moment we shared on WhatsApp in the postseason. <laughs> but but let, let's just start at the logical start point for this, the, the off-season. Because... You know, the season before last was uh, it was it wasn't great. I'm gonna be honest with you. Probably the most underachieving team in the league. Uh, how, how did you feel after that season? Um, oh, like you say, the expectations were sky high, weren't they? Um, we'd obviously come off the back of a pretty decent end to the previous campaign um you know greg williams obviously took over on an interim basis seemed to get a tune out of the squad and things seemed to be trending in the right direction there was plenty of talent there as as everybody knew i mean i don't think talent's been an issue for the browns now for a few years to be fair it's been getting the right guy in place to bring that all together and bring it to life um but greg williams to be fair to him you know got a lot of things that i don't like about the guy but certainly in that period of that sort of couple of months he seemed to get a tune out of the team but obviously they decided in the off season to give if uh, freddie kitchens the head coaching gig and and you know hindsight's always 2020 i think most fans at the time were relatively comfortable with it you know he got a lack of experience but he'd never called offensive plays before he stepped in um, for the couple of months that he did and you know no one complained at the time with the the sort of results that were being generated so I think most fans were relatively happy obviously then you had the big name acquisition of OBJ and and expectations were sky high and I think you said it yourself mate whether they were the biggest underachievers or whether they were just the most overhyped in the off season I think you could look at it two directions couldn't you you know the, the hype wasn't necessarily justified you know you've always got to go and actually do it out on the field before you you sort of get the the accolades and the recognition you know but certainly it was below expectations a really poor season so yeah there was there was plenty of question marks this time 12 months ago mate that's for sure yeah, it, it was weird because I kind of feel like the narrative going into this season, which probably as a Browns fan, you're pretty pissed off with. But every media outlet, whenever they brought up the Browns, were saying, oh, is it time to move on for Baker Mayfield if he doesn't have a good season or whatever? And he, he'd never had coaching stability until this season. And now you get a stable head coach and Kevin Stefanski, who, in my opinion, was right up there, you know, coach of the years. So he was right up there with guys like Brian Flores, who'd really taken a bunch of talent that had no direction and, and turned them into a force. So, so let's start with Baker Mayfield. The the progression he went through, he obviously broke records in his rookie season and everything looked on the up. And then 2019 was kind of a, you know, real, real down year, like we just talked about. But look at his uh, progression over the course of, you know, from one season to the next. And, and, I don't know if it's just Stefanski figuring out how to use him, Stefanski being there. And, you know, the, the joke in the 2019 season was that he had more progressive commercials than touchdowns. And going into the 2020, uh, 2020 season, he obviously had a massive upkick in production. I know the touchdown, it's only four more touchdowns, but it's significantly less turnovers. And, OK, a few less yards, but you also added another running back in Kareem Hunt. What, what do you think the... Uh, 
What did you think of Baker Mayfield uh, going into the 2020 season? Do you, did you expect him to have a better year or did, was this kind of take you a surprise that he played as well as he did? I think Baker did enough in his rookie season to give people plenty of reason for hope and for optimism. You know, he came in, you know, let's not forget in his rookie season, very similar situation to what's just happened with Justin Herbert at the Chargers. He was supposed to sit behind Tyrod Taylor. Um, obviously, Tyrod Taylor, you know, got injured in a Browns game and Baker came in and never looked back from that moment on. Um, you know, so very, very similar situation. Didn't get a lot of reps there for during training camp and all of that kind of stuff. And and as with a lot of young players, when they come in, there isn't the film study on them and all of that type of thing. And, you know, Baker was able to, to thrive on the back of that. You know, like I say, the expectations were huge for that 2019 season. He got a new shiny toy to play with in OBJ. The relationship never seemed to quite hit it off, certainly not in the way that people expected that it would do. Um, and like you said, the biggest issue in the 2019 season was really that turnover number, 21 interceptions. You could also add some some fumbles in there as well, you know, some ball security issues. Um, and effectively, you know, you, you don't win many NFL games regardless of the talent that you've got at your disposal if you turn the ball over with regularity. We all know that. Um, you know, and that, and that ultimately was, the you know, one of the main reasons that the Browns finished 6-10 and 10 last year. He got quite a bit of flack last season. There was a stretch when the Browns were winning games and Baker wasn't throwing for a ton of yardage. If you actually go back and look at those games, some of the weather that we played in for a three or four week stretch was just absolutely horrendous. I think there was a there was a game against the Texans and I think Baker and Deshaun Watson combined for less than 150 or 200 yards, something ridiculous. So, you know, we, we had a, a few weeks where throwing the ball wasn't really conducive to the game plan. As you say, we, we obviously got two really good running backs as well. But the big thing really there with Baker is that, you know, it's 26 and 8 over the course of the season. Only one of those eight interceptions actually came in the back half of last season as well. So we're not just talking here about a jump from 2019 to 2020. We're talking about a huge jump that was made essentially from the bye week in 2020 till the end of the season. And I include the playoff run in that as well. He was obviously instrumental in the wild card win, which we'll come on to, I'm sure. And, um, you know, and obviously the Browns pushed the Chiefs mightily close, um, you know, in the um, in the divisional round also. So, you know, massive, massive growth. I mean, his accuracy has always been his probably biggest trait. You know, that was the thing that lots of people talked about when he came into the league about his ball placements and his accuracy. And the one thing, if you study Brown's film, is that there's almost a little bit of an issue with some of the personnel that we've got offensively. Um, in as much as they're all quite good at specific things, but Jarvis Landry is a classic example. He, he, he's a he's a player that divides a little bit of opinion, and I think he divides opinion as much as anything because of the money that he gets paid. Um, but what Jarvis Landry is excellent at, he's working the short and underneath routes. Um, in Kevin Stefanski's system, which is a lot of two tight end, it's not really what you want your number two wide receiver to be doing. You know, that's where you want your tight ends to be winning. That's why a big part of why Austin Hooper's numbers were down last year. You know, Austin Hooper came in from the Falcons as a big free agent acquisition, another excellent receiving tight end. But, you know, you've got him and you've got Jarvis Landry trying to occupy the same portion of the field. And, Baker's numbers, although impressive in their own right, if you actually look at some of the throws that he, he had to make, you know, when we played the Chiefs, for for an example, in that um, in that divisional round game, you know, Patrick Mahomes was finding guys that were wide open. You know, he hadn't, you know, guys hadn't got anyone three or four yards from the Browns played an awful lot of zone. And we'll get to the defense, particularly when we start talking draft, because that's the Browns' biggest area of need is the defensive side of the ball. If you actually look at a lot of the Browns' plays and a lot of the completions, the windows that Baker had got to operate within and, you know, the tight ball placement that he had to deliver, you know, there was very, very few easy throws for Baker Mayfield to have to make. Um, you know, and the fact that he made as many as he did, I think he's just a testament to him. He's got that bit of a brash attitude. You know, we're, I know we're joking in terms of the progressive commercials, all right, but he's, he's, he's that kind of character, isn't he? Um, you know, when he drafted, when we drafted him, I think he uttered something along the lines of, if anyone's going to turn that franchise around, it's me. 
Um, you know, and I know that's obviously what he's got to say pre-draft, but you also think that he actually genuinely believes that in the back of his mind as well. So he's one of those, he's going to rub fans up the wrong way if he's not on your team, you know, but as a Browns fan, you know, we, I say we love him. I think the vast majority of the fan base certainly do. You know, I think there'll always be fans out there that'll, you know, yet to be convinced and, and what have you, but let's put it this way. He's country miles better than anything I've seen playing quarterback for the Browns for the last 13 years or so, mate, that's for sure. So certainly looking forward to seeing what he's got up his sleeve for 2021, as you rightly say, with another full year in the same system with the same head coach and the same offensive coordinator. We saw what he did in one season. You know, let's see what he can do in a couple of years in the same system because potentially it could be very, very exciting. Yeah, people think I think people fixate on numbers a little bit too much as well because people are like, well, twenty six touchdowns isn't extraordinary. If you actually look at the team with guys like Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, it makes sense that you're not going to be throwing for forty touchdowns a year. And talking about when Baker Mayfield says he's the only guy who could turn this, like if anyone was going to turn the franchise around, it would be him. I think that makes sense because you needed a guy who's not afraid to go out there, speak his mind and be confident. And despite the talent that guys like Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson and Sam Darnold undoubtedly have, less so Sam Darnold, of course, but um, that these guys have, like everyone knows that Josh Allen's probably my favourite quarterback in the draft, but I don't think he had the personality to necessarily galvanise a team like this, a team that was forever looked at as, as Kind of a joke for the last, you know, what, 10, 15, maybe even more years, which is sad to say because they are one of the stalwarts of the NFL. They are one of the oldest teams and they were for a long time one of the most winning teams in the NFL. And you have some of the most legendary players in the league have played for the Browns. Guys like Jim Brown, for example, and then obviously head coach Paul Brown before he went to Cincinnati and everything. It was he was the perfect guy almost to kind of you know turn this team around and we saw him at Indians games cracking beers and he was at Cavs games and he really integrated with the city and I I think that matters a lot we see it with with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati like last night he went out for dinner with Ocho Cinco and half the city was trying to find out where they were having dinner together and they they both left thousand dollar tips and stuff so things like that that really uh, attach them to the city but yeah Baker, Baker's got a ton of weapons and I think with Stefanski and you know I mean you guys might make a real run this year and maybe not Super Bowl but definitely AFC Championship game given that you showed that you can hang with a lot of teams and you were very close to beating the Chiefs if it wasn't for Chad Henney just mm-hmm. coming in you know amazing play calling by Andy Reid but let, let, let's go through the season because you started off really slow and I, I I mean a couple of the early games there how did you feel after those early games to the Titans and the Ravens yeah the Ravens was opening day wasn't it and um yeah it, it just felt like deja vu to be completely honest like you said we're so used to not having nice things we're so used to you know being the whipping boys and and all of that kind of thing and you know the browns have really struggled with lamar jackson since he's entered the league i know we're not unique in that respect but obviously we play him twice a year um and we have really struggled every single time that we've played him um mark andrews had a field day um and it just yeah it didn't look particularly pretty let's put it that way there was an awful lot of Worry after that first game of the season, um, you know, because like I say, potentially, you know, the Browns haven't won an opening day for as long as I've watched them. I think they haven't won an opening day game for, you know, 20 odd years now or something ridiculous. So I suppose in that respect, it wasn't the biggest surprise in the world, Um, you know, but it was certainly a little bit of an eye opener. um, And, you know, let's not forget this was off the back of a really disrupted off-season. appreciate every team had that, but, you know, when you're trying to integrate a new coach, new system, new players, all that kind of jazz, um, it obviously was far from ideal. But, um, 
Yeah, they they turned it round a little bit, you know. After that, you know, they they got a win Monday night football. Um, I think was the the opening sort of win of the season against the Bengals on a on the opening sort of home game. That was an important one to, to sort of get that out out the way and get the first victory of the season. And then I think I think we we sort of started off. Didn't we I think it was about five and three by the time we got to the bye week. So like you say, it was relatively steady, nothing overly spectacular. But certainly at five and three, you thought you know potentially this team's in with a bit of a shout if they can put a run together. Um, and to be fair, it looked as though they were going to be relatively comfortable in the playoffs. Um, I mean, to be fair, the AFC was so strong last year, even with seven wild cards, it felt as though the Browns needed to keep winning just to sort of make sure that, that that's exactly what did happen. And we got to a, a Monday night game and it was a real illustration of just how far this team had come because the same Ravens that we'd played on opening weekend and obviously got trounced by, you know, we played them on a Monday night. For me, it was the best game in the NFL last year. Um, just a phenomenal backwards and forwards. Um, I mean, sitting here watching it in the UK at like 3.30 in the morning or whatever ridiculous time it was, um, even with the Browns down by seven with like just over a minute left, I had absolutely zero concern that they were going to tie the ball game up. I was that confident with the way that the offense was playing and lo and behold, they went and did that. My, my bigger concern was leaving the Ravens time, which obviously is ultimately what ended up happening. Um, and obviously they sort of drove down the field and Justin Tucker, as he seems to have done on several occasions, kicked a game winner for them. Um, you know, but they bounced back the following week, Sunday night football, big spotlight game against the Giants. That was a, such a one-sided victory. I know the scoreboard was only something like 20 points to six or something like that. But, you know, it was a real dominant performance. And, and, and then you thought, well, they've already got the Jets next week and that'll be job done. And then, of course, we had all of the COVID situation, um, losing the entire receiving core on the evening of the game. Um you know, no excuses. You'd have liked to have thought they could have still, you know, done a job against the Jets. They ultimately came up slightly short. I was never too critical. I don't think it can be underestimated how big of a blow that would have been and how disrupted preparations would have been. Like I say, it's such short notice. Um, you know, but credit to the league, you know, I think we all criticised decisions at the time but you know ultimately let's face it we got through 200 and odd games last year. Um, you know, I don't think the competitiveness was missed you know I think it was still really entertaining um, you know despite those couple of games the Browns won and obviously the, the famous one I suppose with the Broncos without the quarterback playing um, you know but obviously they, they failed to get the job done that week and it of course set it all up then didn't it the, the end of season finale as it always seems to be week 17 always seems to be the Steelers it always seems to be the Steelers backups but it always seems to be even the Steelers backups beat the Browns and it was kind of written, wasn't it, that that was still going to be the case. You just thought they're going to throw it away at the last minute, but uh, they got the job done. Um, obviously, the reward was the, the trip to Pittsburgh. Um, and as you said, my friend, that was quite possibly one of the greatest nights of my NFL watching life. It probably is the greatest night of my NFL watching life. Um, I wrote an article about it at the time. I'm sure we're going to come on to why the Browns and everything shortly. So I'll, I'll save the whole story, but uh, let's put it this way. It was a long time coming and, you know, what was it? 12 seconds into the game and that ball goes sailing over Ben's head. And when you, you know, when you sort of dream about the ideal start the night before, or you wake up in the morning, you think, oh, if we could just get off to a good start, you know, if we could just defer the kick and we could pin them deep and we can take the ball at midfield and maybe go and get... You know, seven on the board. What a fabulous start that'll be. No one ever thinks that you're going to score a defensive touchdown with the first snap of the game on the road, your first playoff, you know, first playoff game in forever. Um, so just an absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal night. Um, final score was probably a bit closer than it needed to be. Again, that was a lot of the Browns' defense just allowing a lot of you know simple completions and you know I think Big Ben threw for about five million yards that night, didn't he? Not that it mattered too much. Um, you know, it was a lot of it was by design. And then, of course, as you alluded to, you know, pretty much there with the Chiefs. You know, I'd, we'll never know. I'd have loved to have seen Baker with the opportunity to get that ball for one final time. Um, you know, a five-point loss. So, obviously, we would have still needed a touchdown and, you know, we'd have probably had to have drove the length of the field even if we'd have stopped any 
a couple of yards short or whatever on that scramble. I know it was the fourth down call that ultimately iced that away, but let's face it, when you're scrambling on you know fourth, third and 13 and he's getting 12 and a half yards, it made the fourth down call a little bit more palatable, didn't it, for Andy Reid? I don't think he was trying that if it was fourth and five or fourth and six. Um you know, so we'll never know, but you know, obviously a fabulous season beyond any expectations really for last season. We kind of had the 2019 season that we expected, but we had it 12 months later on. I think nobody expected that last year. We probably expected six and ten, seven and nine. You know, maybe rebuilding, see what Stefanski's got. You know, and and see where it leads to. But uh, yeah, certainly beyond the wildest dreams last year, mate. So thoroughly excited about this season upcoming. Yeah, I was going to say, like, obviously it's been so long since you guys had a playoff win and you must have felt so vindicated winning it against Pittsburgh. I remember the texts we were throwing back and forth on the WhatsApp because I hate Pittsburgh as much as the next man. And living in Cincinnati has just galvanised that hate for me. So how, how did you how did you feel? Let's start with the very first play of the game. When their centre sent a ball flying over Ben Roethlisberger's head. He didn't seem interested in recovering it. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> and I, I can't remember. I think I just text you a bunch of like uh, exclamation marks or let's fucking go or whatever. <laughs> How did you feel at that moment when the Browns fell on the ball in the end zone? Just unbelievable, man. Like I said, I mean, obviously the kickoff time in the UK was, what, one fifteen or something like that. And, you know, I've got two kids at home, so I'm trying my best to sort of bite my lip and not jump around and celebrate too much. But it's like I said, it was just the most unbelievable of starts, wasn't it? And I think, you know, let, let's not forget, and I didn't mention it when I sort of just gave the sort of brief snapshot of the season that was. You know, we, this was a game without their head coach even being present. You know, this was a game that Kevin Stefanski was watching from his basement because he contracted COVID in the week leading up to the game. So all the talk all week had been the Browns have got no chance. The Browns are going to be humiliated. They only just scraped past the backups a week ago. Now it's in Pittsburgh. They haven't got the head coach. You know, the, the Pro Bowl left guard of Joe Bretonio is also out. You know, it, it was apparently going to be a massacre. And I mean, look. Getting seven and up, I've, I've seen the Browns be up in plenty of games and lose them. So I wasn't overly carried away. By the time we got to 28 nil, mate, I was, that was it. <laughs> I mean, the, the memes were flying backwards and forwards, all the jokes were out. I mean, it was just, it was just unbelievable. And, and, and to be fair, you mentioned there about feeling sort of vindicated in terms of how long it's been. That There was a group of us last year that, you know, sort of Browns fans just sort of set up a WhatsApp group between us. Um, and it was just such a nice evening, middle of the night, early morning, whatever you want to call it, because we're all in exactly the same position. Hardly any of us had ever seen the Browns in the playoffs. You know, there's a few that obviously, you know, sort of saw some of the more glory years and the support of the team, you know, in the 80s and all of that kind of thing. But obviously for a lot of us that are sort of newer fans to the NFL, you know, none of us had ever seen a playoff game, let alone a playoff win. Um, you know, so to, to sort of be able to experience that at the same time as, as everybody else witnessing at the same time, share all the fun and the laughs and the jokes and, you know, seeing Ben crying at the end of the game, you know, just, just absolutely fantastic, mate. Absolutely fantastic. But it certainly whetted the appetite, mate. It can't be a one and done. We can't wait another 20 years for the next one. You know, it's got to be something that the team obviously now strives towards year in and year out, you know, because ultimately what last year gave us is a fabulous foundation to build from. You know, as you said there, you know, should the Browns be considered a Super Bowl contender? I don't see why not, if I'm being completely honest. I don't see why not. The blueprint's out there to beat the Chiefs. Absolutely. The Bills had the blueprint. I, I, I spoke about this with us on the live pod. The Bills did exactly what they needed to. They just didn't have the personnel to sort of pick up on the nuances and stuff and adjust coverage on the fly and adjust schemes on the fly like the Bucks did. Um, and I, I think maybe that you guys do have the personnel to do that. And Grant Delpit's going to be back next year, and that's going to be huge for you. I, I can't understate how much... I know he's an LSU guy, and I'm, I'm going to get flack for it, but he is a great safety. And you draft well this year. On defense, you guys are looking at being the best team in the AFC North, even potentially better than the Ravens, who at times seem unstoppable, but there's clearly a blueprint out there to beat them now. 
Yeah, I think that, you know, look, you know, like, like I said earlier, you know, you don't deserve the hype until you've earned the hype. All right. So I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think we should definitely be doing X, Y, and Z because I don't think it works that way. But as you have rightly said there, there's absolutely an opportunity for the Browns here to go and make some noise. You know, it feels as though the Steelers, I wouldn't say they're going to fall off a cliff, but it feels as though that transition from the Big Ben, uh, Big ben era into the next quarterback, that obviously doesn't look like it's an obvious solution for them unless they have a really terrible year and get a high draft pick next year. doesn't seem like an obvious solution for them there. They've obviously got issues with their running game. They've obviously got cap issues that they're trying to deal with. You know, the, the Steelers obviously, as you say, probably not as fearful as, as you know, I certainly would have been five, six years ago. Um, the Ravens, like you say, I think there is a way to beat the Baltimore Ravens. You know, you've got to be strong through the middle of the field. You need speed. You know, that's what we have lacked. That's why Lamar Jackson has absolutely ruined us. Um, but as you say, I think, you know, the return of Grant Delpit, who, you know, we haven't seen him play an NFL game. You know, I can only comment on the film that's there from college and obviously, you know, all the reports that suggest he's going to be an excellent fit for the scheme that Joe Woods wants to run. Um, you know, the free agent acquisitions from this year, you know, John Johnson, I think he's absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, so he will help massively, um, you know, and I think one of the most underrated free agency moves that the Browns have made, I know a lot of people have talked about the cornerbacks in terms of Hill and in terms of um, Johnson, in terms of the secondary, and rightly so, you know, they, they come as, you know, premier players at that position. One of the key ones for me is that one at the bottom there on the graphic, Anthony Walker, the linebacker from the Colts. Um, Darius Leonard's the one that gets all of the fuss and all of the attention in Indianapolis. But when Anthony Walker left and when he joined the Browns, I found it very, very notable that Darius Leonard took the time to basically film a video, post it to his social media platforms, essentially thanking Anthony Walker for making Darius Leonard the player that Darius Leonard is. Um, I think Anthony Walker is a really, really undervalued addition to that defence. Um, you know, we had BJ Goodson in the middle of the defence last year and, you know, couldn't fault his efforts. You know, he caught about the defence. Um, you know, he was a free agent acquisition last year. He brought a bit of a veteran presence, um, you know, but there's a reason he signed a one-year deal with the Browns. There's a reason he hasn't signed with somebody straight away. You know, I hope he does sign with somebody. I wouldn't be averse to him coming back to the Browns and to play a bit more of a rotational role, but, I, you know, I wouldn't want him as a starting linebacker week in and week out. Um, so I do think Anthony Walker will be an upgrade in the middle of that defence. And I think importantly, you know, if you look at the back end, like I say, Hill, best cornerback in the league, according to certain places, you know, obviously depends on who you want to believe. But, you know, again, I like to just watch it with my eyes. You know, I can see for myself whenever he plays, particularly when he covers from the slot. He's excellent. And like I said, John Johnson's sort of nose for the ball. He always seems to take the right angle. He always seems to, you know, I, I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, has he picked up something ridiculous like one penalty in his NFL career? Or, you know, it's certainly not a huge amount. You know, he's, he's very. Been, he's been ridiculously clean throughout his yeah. career. He's, he's very careful with the way he plays. Exactly. And, he, and he's very, very intelligent, you know. <laughs> you know. The safeties last year were Andrew Sendeo for most of it. You know, to be fair to Sendeo, he was another one brought in as a veteran on a one-year deal to add a bit of depth and rotation because of injuries to Delpit in particular. He ended up playing a far bigger role than was ever intended. Um, the cornerback's the same. We hopefully get Greedy Williams back this year. You know, he suffered with a terrible shoulder injury. Um, you know, he's been given a clean bill of health, so hopefully we can get Greedy Williams back. I mean, he didn't he didn't set the world alight in his rookie season, I think that's fair to say, you know, but again, you know, he's still only a very young player. Um, he was making yeah. big adjustments to... Yeah, exactly. Because he, was, he wasn't cornerback one at LSU. I mean, he was a big part of the game, but when yeah. you're lining up opposite of guys like Derek Stingley and stuff, then, you know, and Derek Stingley at the time was a freshman and he was probably getting looked at more just because he didn't have the experience. But uh, I was actually surprised by the impact that Joe Schobert leaving kind of had because he seemed like he really anchored that defense. And uh, and I feel like if you guys had kept him, you maybe would have had a little more success defensively. 
But, I, think, uh, yeah, I think potentially, mate, but I also think in terms of Joe Show, but I think he was he was probably looking for a contract that the Browns didn't want to pay to a linebacker. Um, I think in this particular scheme that Joe Woods wants to run, you're going to see an awful lot of three safeties, um, particularly now with the versatility in that safety room in Delpit Johnson and Ronnie Harrison's the other one that in theory should start and play quite a lot. Um, I also think you're going to see three cornerbacks a lot of the time as well. You're going to see Hill in the slot. You're going to see, obviously, Denzel Ward-Man in one side and hopefully, like I say, Greedy Williams on the other. Um, you know, we'll wait and see, obviously, what happens in the draft. Um, but I think a lot of the time, you're only going to have one linebacker on the field. And I just think Joe Schaubert, as much as I like Joe Schaubert as a player, and as you say, he was he was definitely the quarterback of the Browns' defence, um, you know, he, he ended up signing a pretty lucrative contract in Jacksonville, and I just don't think it's a position that the Browns' current, you know, front office setup really values all that much. I think if they can sign players like I just mentioned there in terms of an Anthony Walker on a sort of one-two year, you know, nowhere near the sort of eight million, nine million in annual salary that Joe Schaubert was commanding at the time. You know, I think the Browns, statistically, if you look at it, the Browns linebacker room was an upgrade last year. They went from Christian Kirksey and Joe Schaubert, who you would argue as two individuals were probably better players potentially than BJ Goodson and, you know, whether you want to say um, Sione Taki-Taki, Mac Wilson, Malcolm Smith, whoever we plugged in at linebacker, there was no stellar names there. But collectively as a unit, statistically, it performed better. And I think that's where the Browns' mind space is at. And I certainly think if they had their way, that, like I say, you will see six defensive backs on the field the vast majority of the time, particularly with the versatility that Harrison, Delpit and Johnson can have in terms of playing closer to the line of scrimmage. You know, certainly in terms of Ronnie Harrison, he's a big dude. He's a big dude for a safety. You know. Yeah, he can come down and he can hit. So, you know, he'll get involved in the wrong game. And, and like I say, I just think that's... That's the way it's trending. You know, I think there's a chance the Browns could go linebacker in the draft. Um, you know, I've seen that as a position that a lot of people have obviously identified um, naturally because, as I said, there's no real standout name there. If you look at the other areas of the defence, you look at the defensive line, you've got a standout name in Miles Garrett. You look at the cornerback and the secondary, you've got Denzel Ward, you've got John Johnson. The obvious hole, if you like, is in the middle of the defence. So I can see why the linebacker link is there. Um I also wouldn't be surprised if they don't go linebacker at all. I wouldn't well, be surprised if it's not till later on in the draft they might take a flyer on one. Well, yesterday, uh, Josh, who was picking for the Browns, he mock in the mock he traded up to take Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, who is he, he's basically Isaiah Simmons in the fact that he can play that middle of the field linebacker role, but he's incredibly fast. Yeah, not necessarily light, but he can play sort of that safety role he can kind of come down and control the middle of the field as well and I think maybe adding a guy like him would be perfect fit for you guys and obviously you've gone up against teams where like Baltimore where he would be great at shutting down Lamar Jackson because he he is fast as well he's very quick to react so I think linebacker would be a perfect addition for you guys even though you do have some guys like Mac Wilson and stuff I just think uh, a talent like Jeremiah Usu Koromoa is you know, too much to pass up on. But uh, I, I can, yeah, I can see them going that way, mate. Don't you? And I think that's the beauty for the Browns. You know, I think we're in a situation where we can take best player available on our board at the time that it falls to us. We can be aggressive, and to be honest, you know, I loved that move that Josh made in the mock draft on the full ten yards yesterday. You know, we're in a position that. We shouldn't need nine draft picks to contribute to our team this year. We probably need, you know, two or three real contributors. And if we can get two or three guys that we really, really like, whoever they are, and we've got the ammunition to go up and get them, if that's what it needs to be, then as far as I'm concerned, go up and get them. You know, for far too long, you know, and... It's always one of these strange arguments with Browns fans and it always divides the fan base. You know, we've obviously gone through this sort of analytical phase of, you know, getting future assets and it's all about having more and more draft picks. And, you know, there's still people now that would rather trade out of the first and pick up an extra second and all this, that and the other. And, you know, for me, we're at a stage now where, look, we're, we're on the, we're on the, on the, you know, 
we're on the edge of actually getting over the hump here. You know, gone are the days of needing to keep restocking and keep retooling the cupboard. The cupboard is pretty much full. All we need now is those extra few bits of bits and pieces to really make us into a real, real contender. And if, you know, whether it's JOK or, or whoever, you know, I think there's probably only a couple of linebackers that are likely to go in the first. And obviously Parsons is going to be well off the board by the time it comes to the Browns. I don't see him trading that well, far up. That being said, there's a lot of concerns about him as a person that are kind of there's a bunch of stuff come out about potential hazing and and sexual assault stuff that happened while at Penn State that could potentially tank his draft stock and maybe that's something for the Browns to think about yeah well I mean let's put it this way if that happens then all it's likely going to do is put JOK further up the board as well so you know I think I can't see them reaching for anybody other than one of those two in terms of what they bring on the field. Obviously, not going to comment too much on the off-field stuff. Obviously, I, I, I didn't even know about it until you just mentioned it there. Um, you know, but you know, for me, I think they'll go. I think they'll definitely go defense in the draft. You know, whether it's defensive line, um, you know, defensive line potentially corner. I think it depends on how the board plays. You know, I mean, wait and see. Again, what's there? Um, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised at any position to be completely honest. But I do think it will definitely be defense. I think the whole draft will be quite heavily focused on the defense. Um, I think we could do with some speed at wide receiver. Um, you know, I think we could do with a bit of a burner. I think we desperately missed OBJ last year um, when he did go down because OBJ is the one that can stretch the field. And as I alluded to earlier in the Stefanski offense, um, you know, you could do with somebody stretching the field so that the guys can work underneath. Um, you know, Rashad Higgins had himself a fairly nice season last year, but again, he would benefit. You know, it's not his natural role to be the burner over the top. He's probably more your, you know, your intermediate routes type thing. So. I think if we can get some speed, um, you know, then then that would be something that I'd be looking at as well. Um, but like I said, we're pretty much in a good position. I was going to say, you're stacked on offense. and it's a, Yeah, I, it's a pretty I, good position. I think you guys now, you've got a nice sort of three to five year Super Bowl window, I think, before maybe potentially guys start retiring or, or contract issues come up. So I think you've got like a nice little win now window. And I, I think you've got the personnel on offense to do it. And I mean, I mean, even so on defense, and now that you guys have got a full offseason in the Stefanski system, it's, you know, the guy the guy came in and, you know, had to, you know, get everyone to relearn the entire playbook, basically, and, and took a franchise from severely underperforming to being a great playoff team and absolutely kicking the shit out of the Pittsburgh Steelers in the playoffs, which, okay, yeah, some of the, the problems there were created by the Steelers themselves, but you played defense perfectly. You picked him off, what, four times, three or four times that game? Uh, yeah. So, you know, that was just fun to watch. I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> but then you showed that you can have shootouts that Baker can win against Cincinnati, I think probably the most entertaining game of the entire year. And I know, oh, it's the Bengals or whatever, but they're not a bad team. Uh, and with Joe Burrow there under centre, him and Baker Mayfield went toe-to-toe, touchdown for touchdown. That was one of the most thrilling games all season. I think even as much fun as the battle for LA uh, a few years ago when the Chiefs played the Rams and it was like a ridiculous 52-54 to scoreline or so. And so you definitely have the weapons. And I think with OBJ back as well, Maybe if Baker realizes that, hey, you can throw to other people, you don't have to force the ball to him. You do have guys like Higgins, Donovan Peoples Jones, and obviously Jarvis Landry out there. And obviously, Chubb and Hunt are going to be pounding that rock down their throats. You've got Austin Hooper, great tight end. David Njoku, another great tight end as well. If you ever want to come out in those 12 man sets and just ram the ball down people's throats and that. Then let Baker take over and it just destroy people with the play action pass. I think, yeah, that's something yeah, but, you benefit yeah. from having yeah. those two running backs. But yeah. you, you're definitely ready. I think you're you're poised to maybe take out. I think if you take out the Chiefs in the playoffs, there's nothing from stopping you from winning a Super Bowl because because that would just be the biggest shot of confidence ever that you can beat a team that's that stacked. And I think I think even just beating. Pittsburgh in the wildcard round got a monkey off your back, so to speak, in terms of, you know, okay, we are a playoff team. <coughs> we can win playoff games. Uh, but yeah, that, that brings me to my next point, because this is going to be, uh, you know, as a Browns fan, 
and, and a lot of people probably think as a Browns fan getting into them, why? But but how did you get into the Browns and how did you become a Cleveland Browns fan? Yeah, so I, I watched the NFL for years. Um, it was something that I just got into on a Sunday night. I was never particularly bothered about any team as such. It just used to be what was on on a Sunday evening. Um, my mum and dad split up when I was younger. I spent a lot of time sort of like in between grandparents and that kind of stuff. And a lot of the time, I just like say Sunday night, it was just something that I escaped for for a few hours. Um, I just used to generally enjoy it. You know, it was something different and all the rest of it. Um, I picked the Browns essentially because I think – same with mouse sport. When you've got a vested interest in it, all of a sudden the excitement level goes up a notch and you can ride those highs and lows. Um, and like a number of people that I know, it was a pretty natural thing for me to pick because also for my sins, as most people that are regulars to the full 10 yards, I know I'm an Aston Villa fan when it comes to soccer. Um, so obviously when Randy Lerner brought the, uh, brought the Villa, um, it just seemed a pretty natural thing to then follow his American football team. Um, little did I know that I was then signing up for years of misery at the time from both of my teams before you say it, Kieran. I'll get it in there myself. Um, but yeah, um, that that was why the Browns, I mean, like I so said, I fell in love with the NFL first, really. Just loved the the speed of the game. I loved the hard hitting, you know, loved the, the sort of athleticism that was on display. Um, you know, for me, it's the ultimate team sport. I love the fact that you get, you know, some five foot five skinny dude running through the backfield and then some, you know, six foot six wide bloke who's, you know, 400 pounds in the middle of the offensive line or the defensive line trying to stop him. I just, you know, for me, it's, a, it's just a fabulous team game. So I absolutely love it, love the strategy of it and all the rest of it. But yeah, that, that was the reason for the Browns. It was just a natural sort of follow on from my uh, sports following in the UK, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, as a Reading FC fan, I'm very uh, sympathetic to losing ways in in footy. But uh, as an NFL fan, I th- did you do? Look, I'm a Patriots fan, so I've been spoiled over the last twenty or so years. Did do you feel like being a Browns fan sort of gives you greater appreciation every win that comes along? Because as a Patriots fan, we would beat a team. I'm like, ah, oh, whatever. That wasn't exciting. We were meant to beat them, and Last year, we lost to a lot of teams that we could have beat or should have beat. And then, obviously, I like to remind Lee that we gave the Chargers an absolute drubbing 45 to nothing. That was a special teams <laughs> clinic. But did you feel like after all the uh, it's just mismanaged franchise and there was a lot of dysfunction, do you feel like you have a greater appreciation now for just the stability and... Yeah, okay, it was the wild cards, which when the Patriots made in the 2019 season, I was like, what the fuck is this? What's wild card weekend? I've never heard of this before. <laughs> Matt Castle with... No, this is Tom Brady? No, it was crazy. <laughs> so do, do you feel like even when you, you know, play, play, your, play your asses off to get to the wild card, I may add, and then you go in the wild card and absolutely smash a massive rival of yours, do you, feel, do you feel like you have a greater appreciation for that than maybe yeah. somebody who's a fan of the Chiefs or, or the Patriots or, or a franchise that's always sort of, you know, especially yeah. in recent years, always been good? Yeah, you definitely do get that sense of it. I mean, I I wrote an article for the site the day after or a couple of days after that, that wild card win, and I think I called it a win 13 years in the making. And it was it was a pleasure to write, to be honest, and one of the best received articles I think I've ever wrote because it was generally just a story. Thirteen years in the making, you know. I I've sat through an awful lot of rubbish, as many Browns fans have. You know, I I remember still vividly Christmas Eve, um, you know, a wide right Chargers field goal to sort of you know get to one and fourteen on the season and celebrating as though Christmas had come a few hours early. And that was just celebrating the first win of the year to then obviously follow it up with an 0-16 season. Um, you know, when you have very little success, then you definitely have more of an appreciation when success does come around. Um, and that's going to be the interesting thing now for the Browns, as we've said a few times. There's almost a sense now of expectation. There's almost a sense of, you know, as you just said there, well, you should be beating so-and-so, you know, 
oh, you've beaten, you know, for argument's sake, you've, you've beaten Jacksonville, well, well done. You've beaten them 24 points to 22 and you've hung on in the last second. You should be trouncing the Jags. Well, the NFL doesn't work like that. We know that, you know, every win is hard for, you know, you mentioned a 45-0 drop in there. Let's face it, they are very few and far between. Every game is, is hard-earned and, and, you know, every win is, is absolutely something you have to fight tooth and nail for. So, you know, It'll be interesting to see, you know, certainly from the fan base's perspective, I absolutely think there's definitely a real sense of appreciation from Browns fans. Um, you know, and, and the same with any franchise, you know, I think, um, you know, when, you, when you're having tough times, you know, you strive for these better days, don't you? And obviously when you get them, you've then obviously got to take full advantage of them. You know, I loved your, your chat with Bengals captain last week, you know, and he was saying, you know, just, just turning up in his, uh, in his crazy outfit to the game puts a smile on people's face. And, you know, it absolutely does, you know, but, Nothing will put a smile on the face more than, like you say, Joe Burrow turning that franchise around. And if if they can have that effect, then, like you say, you you will get even more appreciation for it because you've had to suffer through, you know, some some down times. And you know, the NFL should work this way. You should go through ups and downs. That's the way the league's designed. You know, you shouldn't have a team like New England that dominated for as long as they did. You know, that shouldn't happen. Um, you know, it's very very rare. It'll probably never ever happen again. Um, you know, so as you said there, maybe the Browns have got a three to four year window now that things should be trending in a positive direction. You know, everybody wants to be the next dynasty. It doesn't necessarily happen that way. So certainly going to enjoy it while we've got it. Um, you know, but like I said, they've got to still go out there and earn it and prove it. So, you know, that's the next step for them. Can they handle that expectation? Um, you know, and can they go out there and prove that last year wasn't a fluke? Yeah, and this this should never mean for any team as well, just because you finally got over the hump that they're going to not try. Because the appreciation I have for Kansas City getting back to a Super Bowl the year after winning one is ridiculous. I don't think people realise how hard that is. People say, oh, well, they got uh, Mahomes, Kelsey, Hill and all these guys, but it's still incredibly hard. You have to fight tooth and nail in some games just for a one-point win and... Yeah. Getting back to the Super Bowl is incredible. So I think if you guys can, you know, finally reach that level, that'd be that'd be massive for Browns fans everywhere. It'd be massive for the city of Cleveland because I think uh, the, the city kind of took a hit when LeBron left, and they were like, "Oh, you know." Yeah, well, let's let's face it. I mean, you're closer to it than me. I mean, I keep a little bit of an eye on the Cleveland sports teams because of my Browns affiliation, but I don't think the Indians are going anywhere this year, and I don't think the Cavs are uh, pulling up any trees, are they? So, like you say, it's a football, uh, it's a football town, and you know, if the Browns do well, you know, let's face it. I think, yeah, you, know, you saw the parade when the Cavs won that championship. You know, you can times that by whatever number you want to put on it. If the Browns ever won the Super Bowl, um, you know, the, the, the parties would just be incredible. Um, you know, it's a, it's a massively passionate town. It's a massively passionate fan base. Um, you know, so yeah, bring, bring it on, mate, bring it on indeed. Like you say, the city certainly deserves it because, uh, they've gone through plenty of, uh, plenty of shit. Yeah. I was about to say, and I said this to Bengals captain last week, you, you remember when I said, I feel like with the way things are trending, I think the biggest rivalry in the AFC going into the next few seasons will potentially be the Browns versus the Bengals. There's obviously a lot of history there due to, you know, the Bengals creation and, but there's never any bad blood. And I feel like that's potentially because of how, I don't want to say historically bad, but how, how both franchises have had some dysfunction and had trouble winning. But do you think that rivalry heats up the more both teams win, the more both you you come accustomed to, you know, making playoff runs and stuff like that? Yeah, I think there's certainly a potential for it to happen. I think, mean, like, like you say, you've obviously got two young quarterbacks, you know, that in theory, you know, certainly from both franchises' perspectives, they hope that they're not going anywhere for a long time to come. Um, you know, so that will add its own level of intrigue. The reason, let's be honest, it's not been a rivalry is because, you know, you've got Pittsburgh in the same division. You know, Pittsburgh has always been the Browns' biggest rival. Forget the fact that the Bengals and the Browns are in the same state. It's always been a Pittsburgh-Cleveland rivalry. And, and let's face it, the, the Ravens have just been a successful franchise since they've been 
well, since they you know, were the Browns, if you like. <laughs> you know, yeah, I was about to say, there's probably yeah. some bad blood there, given yeah, what yeah. happened with the teams. Yeah, so uh, th- that's the strange thing in terms of that Bengals and Browns rivalry. I just think it's the Steelers historically is the biggest rival, just because, of, you know, obviously, like you say, they were successful franchises for a long time. Um, there's obviously the rivalry and the, the sort of hatred, if you like, that's there from the bad blood. And obviously, people don't forget that, you know, the Browns, you know, were taken away from Cleveland for that four to five year period. So there's always that hatred there. So although it's a divisional game, that's probably the reason it's not viewed as this massive rivalry. But like you say, if both teams all of a sudden start churning out wins and and the games between the two become really important, um, then yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you say, they, they certainly have got the potential to be um, you know, some ding-dong battles. And, you know, let, let's throw Lamar in there. You know, my views on Lamar, I don't think he's ever going to be the world's greatest quarterback in terms of a pure passer. I think I think everyone that thinks he's going to develop massively are probably kidding themselves. But he, he's very, very good at what he does. You know, I've always said that, you know, I just think the Ravens have got to commit to doing what he does well. When they have committed to what he does well, they win games. That's why they went on that massive run at the end of last season. Hard to get the wide receiver talent when you want to play to Lamar Jackson's strengths, though. Exactly, mate. But that's that's the decision ultimately the Ravens have got to make, isn't it? You know, they're either going to have to play this way and commit to the Lamar Jackson and say, well, that's the way that we're going to play. And like you say, the, the sort of outside threat... He's almost more of a decoy for the vast majority of the time, um, you know, because we're going to be concentrating on running the ball and we're going to concentrate on throwing the ball over the middle more often than not. Um, you know, if they want to change the style and they want more of a pocket passer and all the rest of it, they're unfortunately going to have a, a decision to make on Lamar Jackson. So that's 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 for them to worry about anyway. That's not really too much of uh, of my concern, to be fair. But um, you know, potentially the division could have some excellent rivalry because they're all of a similar age, aren't they, Borough? Burrow, Mayfield and Jackson. Um, and that's what I say about Pittsburgh, you know, until they get the the heir to the throne sorted, so to speak, that's the obvious sort of, you know, weak point for them moving forward, isn't it? You know, so, um, you know, all eyes on, on what happens there because they've obviously dominated the division, to be fair, as much as we both have a very uh, strong disliking to them. You know, let's face it, they've been massively successful, you know, through the Mike Tomlin era and, and Big Ben and all the rest of it. So, be interesting to see what uh, happens once they make that transition. But, yeah, certainly the, the Bengals trending in the right direction, hopefully, at the same time the Browns are as well. Yeah, that would be fun, especially... And, obviously, you mentioned Lamar Jackson still young. I mean, he's he's younger than Joe Burrow. So, it just speaks to how crazy he was that he was winning an MVP the year that Joe Burrow was winning a Heisman. So, he's clearly uh, very talented. But probably a final question that will – this might make Browns fans sad. But do you ever think – do you wonder what could have been if the team never moved? Because we know Bill Belichick was there and he obviously drafted Ray Lewis and stuff before he left and the team got relocated. Do you ever wonder what could have been? It's probably not a great question for me to answer because my fandoms obviously really started, you know, like I say, 13 years ago. So I've never known the Browns other than their current makeup of them. I could only really speak hypothetically as if to say, you know, if the team went away now and came back in, five years time again you know you know so the, the situation replayed itself i can only imagine that it must be you know a it's just an unthinkable pill to have to swallow if i'm being honest you know it's it's obviously a different setup to the way that english football works and that's the only comparison i can give it but you know you just think you take away something that you've followed all your life you've gone there every weekend you know you're potentially you're taking your kids there and all of a sudden, it doesn't exist anymore. It must be the world's strangest feeling because we all love our sports teams. At the end of the day, for a lot of us, it's what you know keeps us going through the week, isn't it? Looking forward to yeah, exactly. Who, who we're playing the weekend. Um, I think it was important that when they did come back, you know, they kept the name, they kept all of the historical records, they kept obviously the tradition of the uniforms and that type of thing. Um, you know, if you go back now and you watch, you know, some of the great games that the Browns had in the in the eighties when, you know, let's face it, they should have been winning Super Bowls. Um 
you you know you wouldn't know if you didn't know the story that it was a different franchise back then because it all looks the same and I think that's important you know in terms of you know they haven't come back and all of a sudden are wearing you know different coloured uniforms and that type of thing so I can only imagine for the elder fans in the fan base you know the the sort of sheer relief when it was announced that they were going to come back um, you know but like I say for the sort of newer fans like me. Um, Look, I can't really comment too much on what it must have felt like. I can only imagine what it must have felt like, certainly. But, um, you know, fingers crossed that the successful times are coming back as well now. That's the main thing. I'm glad you switched your uniforms as well. I think you're up there with Chargers and um, Bucks now for having the best uniforms in the league. The it, I know it's like the throwback style, but they just look so clean. And it and it brings not, not really a retro feel, but the simplistic look i really didn't like the 2016 uniforms with browns plastered all over him i i prefer the simpler look i'll actually put it up here you know you can see baker mayfield in it i just you know the look is a lot cleaner and a lot simpler so that and that gives the iconic brown sort of you know historical feel to it it, but, it feels as though the franchise is on the right path mate that's the main thing i think that to some people, some people will be listening to this now thinking, what the bloody hell are these two going on about? What difference does it make what they're wearing? And in the grand scheme of things, it probably makes zero difference. I get that. But from the optics point of view, what it was was the franchise realising that they'd made a mistake. You know, I said I started supporting the Browns when Randy Lerner you know, brought Aston Villa. Obviously, since then, Randy Lerner's sold the Cleveland Browns and Jimmy Haslam's come in as an owner and he's been very trigger-happy. You know, he's moved on from head coaches far too quickly. Um, they've made a lot of poor decisions. The uniform was another in a series of poor decisions. Um, you know, but they had the balls, at least, to put their hands up and say, yeah, we've got this wrong. And they've listened to what the fans wanted and I think as much as anything, it, it comes back to what we were just talking about there. It's that importance of the identity of this team. Um, and it's sort of been, you know, back to the sort of roots, if you like, of this team. You know, that sort of, as you say, that almost college look with Cleveland sort of splashed all over. It just, it didn't look great. It looked amateurish. And, you know, ultimately, like I say, in the grand scheme of things, did it, make a tangible difference probably not but obviously you're there to be shot at then aren't you if it's not yeah. going well people can then say well yeah you played in school uniforms you're gonna <laughs> you know you've been you've been treated by like school boys essentially you, you, so you dress like an arena team you're gonna play like one exactly mate exactly that so yeah the uniform thing although symbolic in a lot of ways was an important step um and fair play to them in terms of actually, you know, seemingly finally getting a coach in higher right. You know, that's the that's the single biggest thing. You know, since Jimmy brought the Browns, we've gone through far too many head coaches. Far, far too many head coaches. You know, I followed the Browns for 13 years. The Steelers have had one head coach in that time. Yeah, it's you know. crazy. You've had, what, 800 quarterbacks as well for, <laughs> for that time, so... Well, there's that infamous shirt, isn't there, with all of the quarterbacks named on it. There's a famous uh, famous shirt that um, somebody, it's obviously been mocked up, but yeah, list of every quarterback. It should be, it should be in the Hall, Hall of Fame in Canton. It should do, mate, yeah. Johnny Manziel, Seneca Wallace, Jake DeLone, Colt oh, McCoy. Oh, it's, it's, a who's, it's a who's who of who shouldn't play quarterback in the NFL, mate. But hopefully... Baker Mayfield is the last person to add to that list for a very long yeah. time. It's a who's who of who the fuck is that guy? <laughs> but yeah, that that is all we've got time for today, guys. Thank you very much for joining me, Sean. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Well, it would seem unfair, mate, not to plug our own full 10 yards college draft guide. I'm sure you're probably going to plug that yourself, but you know, I, I will give you a tip of the cap, mate, because you, along with a number of the lads, um, you know, have beavered away over the film tape and have put together a really comprehensive guide for everybody to get their hands on ahead of draft night on E3 weeks away now, well, less than three weeks away now. We'll be into the second round in three weeks' time, won't we? So available now as well in hardback as well as, uh, I'll say hardback, certainly in physical copy. I don't know if it's a hardback or not but it's certainly available in a physical copy as well as the digital 
Um, and as with everything full 10 yards, money invested back into the UK grassroots game. So not only are you getting a good product, you're donating some of your hard-earned money to a good cause as well. Let's get some uh, players, officials and everything into the UK game. Uh, let's keep growing the game over here. So uh, hopefully we get more coverage of the NFL off the uh, off the back of it, mate. So yeah, tip of the cap to you and the boys, mate. Well done on, uh, on an excellent product, mate. Pleasure to be associated with it. And uh, thanks for having us on, mate. Yeah, appreciate that. We we did put a lot of work into that, and we're we're really happy with how it turned out. And we, you know, once the draft's over, ready to jump back in, getting one done for next year for everyone to get their chops into back, even better. Just for the audio listeners, if you want to give out your handle, I know it's on screen here for the video, but if you want to give it out for the people just listening. Yeah, so if you want to interact with me personally, it's at Sean underscore F10Y and obviously get us at full 10 yards as well. I'm one of the the few that has the uh, the fingers in that account as well. So yeah, hit us up on uh, socials if you want to chat ball or browns at any time. And I am the Himbo F10Y. You can catch me slagging off people from Pittsburgh, basically, especially after the Cincinnati Reds had a great triumph against them in the baseball this week um, i'm pretty much a reds fan account at this point so if, if you're into baseball as well come over and check us out full10yards.com fire articles at full10yards on the twitter and uh full10yards on facebook youtube instagram and very soon tiktok uh but thank you for joining me sean uh and we'll see you guys in the next one Kick it and go, kick it and go, kick it and go. Yeah. 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 Yeah.